0: Welcome to The Jan Broberg Show, where we expose the truth about child sexual abuse, rape, assault, and trauma. Everything you hear on this show is for informational and educational purposes only. We do not dispense therapy or give legal advice. This show is not for children. I'm Jan Broberg. Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode. Last episode, I mentioned that we are starting a program and it is called 365 Days of Grooming. So this month, I'm hoping that everything that I say will somehow feed into that. Um, I'm doing a special project, a special retreat for um, a number of my now dear friends from Thriveivers, my online membership Uh, Community, we're coming together. And one of our basic um, things to unpack as survivors is actually to look at how did the manipulation and the grooming start? Um, So we're going to talk about it in a way that helps us heal from that. But when you've been duped, conned, when you've been manipulated, by one of these masters, it really lives with you for a long time because pedophiles, they are grooming their target and all of the loved ones around them. So what is grooming exactly? Grooming is when someone builds a relationship of trust in order to basically make things connected in a way that will allow them to take advantage Eventually. So there's this emotional connection with a young child, a young person, and then they will eventually, you know, manipulate, exploit, and abuse them. That is the definition of grooming. So when you think about a master manipulator who is going to sexually abuse a child, they first of all have to gain that trust. They don't just go in guns blazing, right? That's why we don't recognize it because they look like a friend. They look like somebody that you can trust. You have no idea that they're going to exploit you or traffic you or use you for their own reasons so you know i' I'm so passionate about sharing these stories of grooming, and uh, I hope that some of you listening will will share your stories because if you can see the pattern, if you could notice these subtle signs and become more aware then maybe we really can prevent child sexual abuse from happening um, before it even starts. And that would be the greatest um, success I could think of, is if that the planet were a safer place when I, when I happen to leave it um, because of our efforts. So if you find this content, you know, helpful, I hope that you will, you know, uh, support us. So forensic psychiatrist Dr. Michael Weiner on oprah.com said there are six stages of grooming. The very, very first one is actually targeting the victim. Um, that is number one. So any child or teen, tween may be a potential victim. so let's talk about how it happened to me, what B did to me um were things like building a, 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 you know, definitely a relationship of trust, but they looked like they were innocent things, like working at his furniture store. But the thing that I find interesting about all of that is that when he targeted me, the thing that stands out, which is what I want to focus on, on this very first piece of the stages of grooming, and then I'm going to mention the other five stages, but we will focus on this one, he actually came to church with his wife and his five kids and saw me singing a little song in church. I was nine. And I, you know, I had done Gretel in the Sound of Music, you know, the summer, maybe two summers before this happened. I was seven, turning eight that summer. And our community would do a big Uh, like the university in combination with the community would do a a big musical every summer at the university. And it was our community musical. And that's the first time that I got on stage and um, played Little Gretel. You know, the sun has gone to bed and so must I. Goodbye. You know, the little song she sings and they carry her up the stairs. Can't you see it in the movie? You know, just that, that sweet innocence. Um, And that, Part of me, the singing part, the acting part was always kind of there, but that was my first big musical role. (laughs) And so when he came to our church and saw me up there singing a little, you know, song that you would learn in primary, where all the little kids go and learn songs about, you know, all kinds of, you know, be honest and kind and all of those innocent things you try to teach a child. I look back on that and think that's when he targeted me, and how innocent it was because we were all at church in a place where you go inside and you immediately believe that you are in a place that you can trust the people around you. So when you meet someone in a place of trust, it's that much easier for them to do this first part targeting their victim, and then starting to build that relationship of trust, which is actually exactly what grooming is. It is building a relationship of trust. So I look back on that and the innocence of that time, and I wonder, you know, what could have my parents or people around me have done to maybe have been more aware to have seen this happening. Because first of all, you meet somebody in a place of trust and you're like, okay, um, why wouldn't we trust this man? He has five children. He's married. He's obviously a member of our church. He then gets what we call a calling in the church where he teaches Sunday school that was one of the first things and then his calling or his church you know service escalated to where he was part of what's called the high council so in every in every um region of you know the the country or your community there's what we're in is called a ward and you have your ward and then beyond that you have a stake and this is important because as a person gets a bigger calling and now the stake has many wards, like four or five wards make up a stake. And of course, in Pocatello, Idaho, there were tons of, you know, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I mean, we were surrounded by friends and family that went to the the same ward or were in our stake, you know, if not our ward. Um, So as he escalated this this um, game of trust and building trust, he started to work in the stake in this high council. And they would kind of shepherd and take care of, you know, all of the wards in their stake. And when, when you're a high council, a high councilman, as he was called, you are a person who is going to other wards and speaking during their, you know, main meeting, what we call sacrament meeting. And so, you know, this person is now preaching from the pulpit, you know, giving a talk, not only in our ward, but in other wards in our stake. It's a really big um, calling of responsibility. And so the trust only built over time. So I just look back on that moment where I know he targeted me. And then the slow burn of this pedophile, this, this psychopath, really, sociopathic, criminal pedophile. And he didn't have to go fast because he had another girl who was about four years older than me. She would have been 12, 13, who I know now he had already been messing around with. I don't know to what extent, but I I know the story to a small degree. Because then later in this whole, you know, high council kind of thing, he kind of fell from grace. He was released from that calling because now I know this. I didn't know then and my parents didn't know then. But because of this other girl, there was a document that has the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints letterhead on it that I have now seen and read that talked about him being um, disciplined by the church for inappropriate behavior with a minor female. Now, it didn't say any more than that. And of course, it's not public knowledge. But this is what the high council would take people into what's called a court like a high council court, supposed to be this court of love where you can repent of doing something wrong. And as I look back on how he operated, I think to myself, when he fell from grace as this high councilman and now he is called in to question and the stake president, that guy, not your bishop, that's over your little ward, but the stake president is over all of these wards. They're in your stake. Um I believe that the stake president it was someone in his family that he had I don't know what inappropriate behavior to a a, a minor female that's what it says <clears throat> in the document Hey everybody I just I just had to take a minute cuz I want to talk a little bit about our online community Thriveivers Um I always had the feeling it would be really cool and that it would be helpful, but I had no idea how amazing it is to be in a safe space with fellow survivors where you feel like you can talk about anything without any judgment, where you can have, you know, your worst day and need to express things about a big disappointment, or you have a breakthrough day and something that just finally made sense to you on your healing journey and you're able to go forward. I'm more than thrilled with what the members at Thrive Ivers are already talking about and what they're saying, and they're sharing their stories. And it truly is changing their lives and changing my life. I can't believe how much I've been missing by actually not having a group of fellow survivors in my path. There's so much to be learned on the journey from each other and from that support or you're completely safe. I hope that you'll come over and join us and just know that we have survivor stories that we share every week. We also have amazing experts like social workers, therapists, uh, memory experts, people who have created programs for healing because they were survivors too, and now they've gone down that path and that journey, and now they're sharing what they know with all of us. And it just becomes this wonderful, amazing experience. And I really want to encourage you to come and join us. And we'll never charge more than a dollar a day for your own health and healing. I think that's pretty reasonable. That'll never change. And if you can't afford a dollar a day, tell us what you can't afford. We want all survivors to have a safe place to begin their healing journey and to be supported on that journey. So please just come. I can't wait to hear from you. I want to hear your story. So please go to our link in the show notes and find us at Thrive Ivers. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. I cannot adequately explain to you guys how vitally important therapy has been for me throughout my life. At times, it has been what keeps the 10% of my life, which is filled with challenges and trauma, from festering. Becoming 20% or 30% or 50%, and so on. Therapy has literally saved my life. It commits you to your own mental health and it has a physical impact on you as well. So, when your mental health is good, your bodily health improves. I'm telling you that it better help you have an opportunity to do the easiest pathway to a therapist. You can chat with them, you can have a video session, you can text your therapist. It's immediate. You don't have to drive anywhere and they will match you with a licensed professional. And if that doesn't work out, it doesn't feel like a fit to you, you can change it anytime for no additional charge. It's more affordable than traditional therapy and it's easier than traditional therapy. When you feel better mentally because you've been seeing a therapist like I have throughout my life, you'll know why you have committed that time, that money, that space So, hopefully, you'll go to BetterHelp, use our link, betterhelp.com forward slash my name, J A N, and that will help out our show. It will help you. Plus, if you sign up from our link, you get 10% off your first month. I'm telling you, it's so much more affordable than traditional therapy. And it's also so much more immediate because you can do it from the palm of your hand. I know that for a fact. I've used them myself. I believe that that person, um, who was about three and a half, almost four years older than me, is who he, who he was, first doing his dirty work with. Um, Because now, seeing that piece of paper, which actually was dated ten months before my first kidnapping, I put all those pieces together. When you meet someone in a place of religious trust, you immediately have faith in that person. You see them having, you know, these callings of service that they grow from Sunday school teacher to a bigger calling in in this high council, and then they fall from that grace. You don't know because they don't make some announcement because so many things in all clergy, you know, the the things that they deal with are considered, you know, private, um, you know, they're, I can't remember the word, but they're, somebody out there is screaming the word at me, um, the legal, the legal term where it's protected. Like that information is protected because it's within the walls of, of the confessional, so to speak. So now that I know about that, I didn't know that for all these years. I'd never seen this piece of paper Um, but I know that he was disciplined from the church and he was no longer a part of that high council. And 10 months later, after being disciplined, you lose some of your rights as a member. Maybe you don't take the sacrament, the bread and the water, you know, that week in church, you lose certain privileges for a period of time and you're supposed to be in the mode of repentance. You're supposed to be repenting of, of your you know, your sin, your whatever it was you confessed to. And so I look back on that and I think of how much chaos he was then creating, how much trust he was building during that 10-month period of time as he had been building for, you know, almost two years before with our family. And I look at the chaos he was creating with my mother and how he was whispering in her ear and the chaos he was creating with my father being this wonderful church leader and this wonderful father and all the compliments he gave him. And I know that this man targeted my family and me because we were vulnerable in the way that we were open-hearted. We were raised to be very non-judgmental and very loving and kind and to, you know love our neighbors. And we did. We really loved this man, his wife, and his five children. They were our best friends by this point, that 10-month mark before I was going to be kidnapped. And I guess that's what I wanted to mention in this episode is really talk about how do they target. For me, I know that he targeted me while I was singing that little primary song I'm trying to be like Jesus. I remember the little song that I was singing. Um, I'm trying to be like Jesus in every way, and to be like Him. And I try to remember that every day. You know, to to be kind to my neighbor, to to love. I mean, that's what the song's about. So, I just thought it would be an interesting way to tell my story: is to show that this is how people are groomed. The first part. They're targeted. They target their victim. So now I want to just briefly talk about the other five stages of grooming. I'm just going to mention those and then we'll go into each one of them in depth. So over the next few weeks we'll we'll dig into these other stages. So the first stage targeting, you know the, the person, the victim, he targeted me and my whole family. He knew we were trusting. He knew we were loving. He knew we had an open door policy. He figured that out, but he targeted me that first time we met him at church. Um, Now, the second stage of grooming is gaining the victim's trust, and I won't go into all of that. We'll talk about that next time, but gaining the victim's trust, that was super, super important in my case, Um, and we'll talk more about putting stories and, and examples together about that one. But there's a lot of ways you can gain their trust. You know, when you think about what things does that child like, or what things do their parents like, and how do I actually do that in a way that makes it very, you know, obvious that the trust is um, gained. Okay, then the next one, let's see, is um, the third. The third stage of grooming is filling a need, like playing a role. In the child's life. So you feel that need um, and they will love you and they will trust you. So that's the third stage of grooming. The fourth stage is isolating the child. There are many examples that we can talk about in how he isolated me and other members of my family, which was very important in his long game. And then the fifth stage. Of grooming is initiating sexual contact. So now that all of this trust is established and all these needs are being met, then the perpetrator will initiate some kind of physical contact and then it will escalate to sexual contact. And then the last stage of grooming, which I think is really interesting to talk about, is maintaining control. How do they maintain control so that they continue in their in their, you know, um, sexual assaults and abuse and, and also may maintain control with all the people around the child. So this is the first stage of grooming that we've talked about today, and I hope that it's helpful. Um, I hope that people will, will jump in and start to really open their eyes and see what is very hard to see Just remember, they target you when you're almost always in some sort of place of trust. Recognizing the signs of grooming is such an important piece in preventing and hopefully bringing awareness to childhood sexual abuse. I just can't overstate it enough. Parents, neighbors, church leaders, teachers, anyone out there who is in the lives of children, you can make a difference in one or even many children's lives, if you will notice and trust your gut. If something feels off, it probably is. So if you are concerned at all, please speak up. If something does not seem right, please speak up. Together we can end childhood sexual abuse, if we know what to look for. Everyone here at the Jambroberg Broberg Show and at our foundation, we believe people. We hear and support all survivors. So if you would like to share your story of grooming or manipulation, please contact my team at jan at janbroberg.org. And your story will remain anonymous and will be shared as part of our 365 days of grooming and manipulation. Thank you so much for listening. And that's a wrap for today's episode. Thank you for sharing this journey with me today. If you're enjoying the podcast, please take a couple of minutes to rate and review the show. This really helps us spread the word. And if you know someone who would benefit from listening to our show, please do me a favor and share one of our episodes with them. I want every survivor to know that they are not alone and that there is help available. Links to my website, our foundation, the new book, our online community, Thrive and newsletter can be found in the show notes. All of my contact info is there as well. This year, my number one focus is on sharing our stories. This is so important because it's the launching pad to our healing journey. And it inspires the survivor who is still suffering in silence. I don't want anyone to suffer alone anymore. So please reach out. I want to hear from you. Until next time, my friends, this is Mama Jan signing off over and out on two.